Six games in the NBA tonight. We've got the rundown for you. And the NBA could be backing off its plan for reseeding the conference finals. Plus, Blake Griffin has surgery. Kevin Love apologizes. And Zion is close to making his return. It's the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Let's do this. You are Locked on the NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA, the daily podcast covering everything you want to know about the association. And on Wednesdays, I'm your co-host Jake Madison at Nola Jake on Twitter and the host of the Locked on Pelicans podcast. And I'm John Corrales at Reds Army underscore John on Twitter, and I host the Locked On Celtics podcast. It's nice to be back with you, man. This is exciting. It has been here and let's do it. A long time since we've actually talked to each other so this is good this is fun this is, i actually like talking to you i know we have fun discussing all of this and when we were planning the show out i looked at this slate of games i go well this isn't going to be too fun but it ended up being a pretty exciting night in the nba it turns out so you didn't watch all the games we did we've got you covered on what you need to know with what we call the too long didn't watch starting with the detroit pistons we'll talk more on them later winning 115 to 113 over the cleveland cavaliers this one came down to the end of it and the Cavs just couldn't really get it done uh seku Dim, uh i don't know how to pronounce his last name Dumboya. yeah with a monster dunk that looked really easy and that was probably the lone highlight from this game <laughs> that's all i want to talk about like Andre Drummond, again, we'll talk about him later, had a 2020 game, uh, big night for him. But Saquon Dubois' uh, posterization of Tristan Thompson is all anybody should be talking about that was sick. It was a, I mean, posterization. The picture from Getty Images, it's all over Twitter. Uh, I mean, it's just absurd. awesome. It, just he, awesome. You watch the dunk and you go, oh, wow, this is impressive. And then it doesn't actually kind of look that impressive at times because he's such an athletic freak that he made it kind of look easy. For the Cavs, by the way, Kevin Love, 30 points. He's kind of not being suspended from them. That's great. Colin Sexton, the rookie, 20 – not rookie, sorry, second-year player, 20 points. Missed the game-tying shot at the buzzer. Moving on to another close one, we've got the Portland Trailblazers winning 101 over the Toronto Raptors, 99 points there. Mellow time basically at the buzzer, mid-range pull-up jumper for the win. That was kind of fun. How much crap have we given Carmelo Anthony on this podcast? Like uh, a, a lot, lot oh, right? A lot. Okay. A lot. So shout out to him for shutting us up. Like I, I, I can only give him respect for dropping a 10 of 17 night, 28 points, seven rebounds, and the game-winning shot. Just, just an awesome night for Carmelo. Yeah, there were a couple guys for the Trailblazers that came up big in this one. You had Damian Lillard doing Damian Lillard things and hitting just ridiculous three-pointers, including one that tied it at 99 apiece. That was like a 32-footer. You had Hassan Whiteside come up with back-to-back defensive stops, Kyle, uh, kind of like stoning Kyle Lowry right at the end of the game. He finished with 24 points on the night. But again, just trio of Blazers coming up big, including Melo with like a vintage game winner right there 
Dude, I mean, Lowry, four of 16 shooting from three. Yeah. That's just not good enough. No, I mean, he, he was rough down the stretch for him in this game, too. Like, he had multiple chances to put this game away, like him in particular for the Raptors, and just couldn't do it. Yeah, so, I mean, that that's it. It, it happens. It happens. It, so yeah. that they had this game. They were up. 100%. And they, and they just fell apart in the fourth quarter. It happens. It's tough, especially at home. It sucks to, to lose that game. Credit to to Melo. I mean, Melo Mello did the job. Yeah, moving on to another close game. This one in overtime, the Oklahoma City Thunder beating the Brooklyn Nets 111-103. This was all Chris Paul, particularly in the fourth quarter. Finished with 28 points on the night and just took over that period. Chris Paul, as I wait for the stats to load here, 16 points in the fourth quarter on 5 of 7 shooting, including two threes. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, he Chris Paul... Good player. I'm going to go out on a limb and declare him good player. It was, it was Shea, a good night for the banana boat crew here. <laughs> it was. Uh, I was going to highlight Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who had 22 points uh, on top of that for uh, OKC. But uh, look, OKC coming out smelling like roses after all of this, trading for Chris Paul, trading away Paul George, both of those trades that made it seem like they were starting over. Uh Working out very, very well for them. I, I wonder if those trades are working out a little too well for them right now. Look, they right now are thrilled with what's going on. Chris Paul's been basically playing at an all-star level all season long. Brooklyn Nets, by the way, losers of seven straight after this one. Moving on, the Memphis Grizzlies getting a win over the struggling Minnesota Timberwolves, 119-112. Their young guys really came through in this one. Ja Morant, 25 points on the night. You had Jaron Jackson Jr. with 21, particularly strong in the fourth quarter. Those two guys really closed it out for the Grizzlies in this one, and they're kind of a surprising team all of a sudden. Yeah, things are starting to come together a little bit. Dylan Brooks with 28 points. I mean, that when the young guys, and this is exactly what happens with these rebuilding teams. Sometimes the young guys, it just all works well together. But that combination of Morant and Jaron Jackson is, is, you saw like that tantalizing, oh baby, that pick and roll combination is going to be so good moving forward. Yeah, no Carl Anthony Towns in this one for Minnesota leading to the loss. But yeah, Memphis really came out and just, yeah, they, they're young and they're kind of fun right now. Uh, we had another exciting game that when you and I were first talking, looked at this, looked like the Phoenix Suns were running away with this one. They end up losing, though, to the Sacramento Kings 114-103. Phoenix had a 21-point lead in this one. And after that really good start to the year, they have now fallen to 14-23, and 23, and the wheels seem like they're coming off a little bit. Devin Booker putting in 34 points, not enough to get them over the hump in this one. Uh, I'm going to uh, shout out me for writing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for for writing today, I literally wrote a piece today about how the Celtics should be targeting uh, Demania Bialica from the Kings. The Kings, I thought, I'm like, well, the Kings are going to be sellers. I thought Bialica is a low key trade target, and here he is dropping 14 points. In a 36 to 16 fourth quarter for the Sacramento Kings. So shout out to me for having the foresight to highlight Bielitsa as a guy that could really help a team 
that's trying to contend at the break if the Kings are going to get rid of him. But if he keeps playing like this, you might as well keep him. No, they're likely to keep him, I would guess, and uh, try and maybe make a run because the bottom of the Western Conference, the fight for the eighth seed in there is just like it's like a pillow fight or something like that. Uh, <laughs> De'Aaron Fox, 27 points on the night for him, leading the Kings in that comeback win. And then the final game of the night, the Los Angeles Lakers at home against the New York Knicks. Yeah, we don't even need to really touch on this one much. 117-87, you can probably guess that it was the Lakers putting up over 100 and the Knicks not even getting there. Notable from this one, Anthony Davis had a nasty fall, had to leave the game playing under 30 minutes. John, what is his injury called? It is called a a sacral contusion, which is the bone just above the tailbone. The tailbone is called the coccyx. And above this is the sacrum. So that was a bruise of the sacrum, therefore a sacral contusion. Yep, not what I thought when I first heard that. Uh, LeBron James with 31 points on the night leading the team. Uh, The first quarter kind of sluggish for the Lakers, and then they basically just turned it on the rest of the way. And oh yeah, the Knicks are bad, but they got points for Julius Randle. I want to shout, not shout out, I want to just call out, I should say, Bobby Porter's for being a punk. Uh, the slap across mm-hmm. the head of Ken, uh, KCP, Kendavious Caldwell Pope, was a dirty play. I I think he deserves a suspension and a fine and all that maximum punishment for Bobby Portis. That was a dirty play and a dangerous play. Luckily, KCP cleared the uh, concussion testing and he's okay, but that was not an okay play. Yeah, there you go. That's the the night of action in the NBA. I'm sure we'll get an update on AD's health. He looked like he was having some trouble walking after that happened. So there you go. You're caught up on everything going on around the league with the too long didn't watch. But we've got more coming on the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. Are, is the NBA going to reseed the playoffs or is that off the table? We've got a couple of big men we want to talk about as well coming up in the next two segments here on Locked on NBA. So we had some close games in the slate of games in the NBA tonight, and that's been a lot of fun. And the NBA is looking to find a way to kind of make the regular season just matter a little bit more. We've heard some of the stuff about the in-season tournament. We're not going to go into whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, the playing games and all of that stuff. But they have had an idea that seems to make sense on the surface, and that is reseeding the final four teams in the NBA, regardless of conference, and just go by record so that you can hopefully get the two best teams in the NBA finals and then create a more entertaining finals that way and maybe a longer series, which leads to more uh, TV revenue. And so it sounded like that was going to go forward. But now from reporting from uh, Woj and... Um, over there at ESPN.com that maybe they're rethinking this. So, John, just in general, right off the bat, good idea or bad idea to reseed the playoffs for the final four teams? I mean, I I think it depends on the year. We've seen in the past where the Western Conference Finals have essentially been the NBA Finals, and when the East has been weak, yeah, at those times, yes, it makes sense to reseed. I guess when the East is strong, there's the possibility that you reseeding doesn't do anything, but um, I, I can see the point here. I, I've been mostly against reseeding, and reseeding for the conference finals has been kind of like the compromise 
of it. I'm perfectly happy to not reseed anything and deal with these kind of little swings of, okay, the West is better. The East is better. It, it eventually it all works out. Yeah. So at first I actually really liked this idea and yet get the finals to be as good and as long as possible and not make the Western conference finals, the de facto NBA finals. But the more I read this, the more I started to think about it. I actually think not receding really is the way to go. One, they're kind of worried about maybe a uh, our coastal elites here in the NBA having to travel longer distances. Across, <laughs> I don't know. Come on now. Uh, and cross three time zones. So say a series, and I think they use like the Cavaliers and the Milwaukee Bucks as an example. If they play in one series, and then you have like the Lakers and Knicks, since they played tonight, playing in a playoff series, the winner of the one with you know less travel is going to have a bit of an advantage going into the NBA Finals. That makes some sense to me, though I think given that they travel charter and not commercial, that like that's a little bit overblown, but I get it. And if these teams kind of feel that it is a significant thing and we know how important like rest is in the NBA, well, then maybe you do need to do it. But I think the thing that got me is, like, how would you feel about a semifinal series between the Lakers and Celtics to go to the NBA Finals? That just feels like it should be the NBA Finals, and I don't want them playing in the playoffs before that, and I think that's a big part of this too. Yeah, I, I look at it this way. First of all, I do want to push back on the, the travel. Yes, they they travel charter, but you still have to travel. You still have to pack. You still have to get on a plane. You still have to get into the pressurized tube. Traveling in that pressurized tube does have an impact on your body and doing it over and over and over again. I think it's, it wears on, on players, no matter how comfortable the actual flight is. Uh, I, I look at this, this potential scenario where in these playoffs, you have the potential for the Celtics and the Sixers to, to meet in the Eastern conference finals and the Lakers and the Clippers to meet in the Western conference finals. But through reseeding, all of a sudden it's, like you said, Lakers, Celtics, and Sixers, uh, Clippers. And yeah, all I'm the- just like, I don't kind of want to see Lakers and Clippers in the finals. That's just like, it's weird to me, right? It's, to, like, it's weird. Think about it. And then what if one of the LA teams wins? And like, so maybe it does end up being a Boston LA series. However, that works out. Now you have two straight series where you're crossing from Boston to LA or Philly to LA and you're going back and forth for like a month. You're, you're going across the coast. I don't like that idea. If it, if it happened to Portland, like there, it's just for those teams that are in, in the Eastern conference, especially, I know that they're, they're behind this. I, I don't think they want to keep traveling all the way to the West coast where the power on the West coast right now in the Western conference is mostly concentrated about as far away as you can get from Boston and Philly. So yeah, I, I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of all that travel. I, I just, people I think get too caught up in the, you have to have that once so you have to have that one too. Like, I, I don't think it's that important. And you are now robbing the Celtics Sixers series. That's in it, you talk there's, about historical rivalry, like history in a lot of this stuff that yeah. I think is actually like, I, I'm a big believer in just like kind of throw a lot of tradition out and like do whatever just makes the most sense. 
I, I don't think you want to, I'm not going to go all the way with that because I think you do want to keep some of these traditional things in these traditional series and these historic rivalries there. And it sounds like the NBA's kind of realized that maybe that actually would hurt the ratings. And that's kind of what this season, like the subplot below the actual games has been. Why are ratings down? How can we get ratings back? Yeah, ruling out, you know, some of these series, like is anyone going to watch the NBA finals if it's Clippers, Lakers outside of L.A.? Like, yeah, but that probably isn't going to be the NBA final series that you really want. And I think that's kind of part of the reason why maybe they're looking at this, too. So I think in general, this could hurt the ratings rather than help them. Yeah, I I, I get it. Like you said, the ratings, we've talked about the ratings on this podcast before. Um, I, I, I'm sure there are ways to do this. And it there may be a radical change, a completely radical change. We might be trying to tinker too much, and the answer is something completely different. I I think just maybe taking a step back, I think they're trying to force a few things, and maybe the ratings are kind of driving something that there's there's a little bit of panic or something. Maybe they know something it, we don't it, know. It feels that way, that's for it, sure. It feels like they're like, no, we need the tournament now. We need to reseed now. Like it feels, it feels a little panicky. I, I'd rather kind of come up with a better solution. And I don't know what that is, but they're basing this on things that happen in other sports leagues where they don't have the same dynamics as the NBA. Um, European soccer, you don't travel as far in European soccer as you do in the United States. You don't, they don't At have a playoffs those, there. Those in-season, in-league tournaments uh, for some of those teams. So, it, yeah, you're right. At times it feels like they're trying to shoehorn this in a little bit too much. So you mentioned panicking which is a good segue to the next segment where we've got one team that's definitely panicking about what to do, another team that's kind of in the middle of panicking, and then one that actually isn't. We'll let you know what those three teams are coming up here in just a moment. But before we do that, don't forget, subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcast from. Here Monday through Friday for you all, breaking down the biggest stories, giving you what you've got to know about the association. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. All right, so we mentioned panicking and panicking teams, and they covered it on, on yesterday's Locked On NBA, talking about what should the Pistons do with Andre Drummond and should they move him, even though they're kind of winning right now. But the news came out yesterday that Blake Griffin has had another knee surgery, and he's going to be out indefinitely. Should they be panicking, John? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Detroit is a mess, and they they, I think... In the uh, Van Gundy era, I think Stan kind of made some moves that that weren't really well thought out, and they're they're paying the price now. Somehow, Detroit has to start shedding itself of these salaries and finding a way to get out from under. I mean, obviously, Andre Drummond. I think it's a take what you can get for Andre Drummond, but really, you know, oh, look, listeners to my podcast know I am so anti Drummond. Like I, I wouldn't pay him. I don't even know if I'd pay him more than 15 million. And even that I think is, is a lot. I just don't, I don't, I don't believe in, in him as a, a guy who impacts winning. Uh, I, I think you get what you can for Drummond. Cause I think he's gone anyway. They're, they should not pay him long-term. So take what you can take the money and run, figure out if you can get anything. 
Can you get something for the Reggie Jackson expiring? Can you get something for Derrick Rose? Sell, 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 sell. And then if somebody somehow can take Blake Griffin off your hands, stockpile the assets, blow it all to smithereens, and start completely over. So I might not have as many red lights going off in my panic room like you are about this team, um, (laughs) but I think they definitely should sell. I look at this is in they're kind of in a in a, not the worst spot. Like they could in theory compete for a playoff spot this year even without Blake Griffin. They're sitting at tenth in the Eastern Conference right now, and they're like three games back of Brooklyn. Um, I think after uh, t- well, last night's games and everything, it's it's like the bottom of both conferences. They're all just terrible. Uh, and you look at this, there's going to be a lot more buyers than sellers. I think, and if Drummond's the guy that's going to kind of command the most. I don't think you just move him for nothing. I think you definitely move him because he's got a player option. He's almost certainly going to decline and you don't want to tie up 70 plus million dollars between Drummond and Griffin going forward. But you might have one of those middle of the road, like Western conference teams all fighting for eight. And there's like six of them that might make you like a pretty decent offer for him. That's better than probably the Hawks offering you Chandler Parsons in a first round pick uh, to just make the salaries work and give you some of the cap relief. I I think anybody that the, the best picks that you can get are, is the deal that you take. Um, if Charlotte wants to do something stupid and turn Bismack Biombo and, you know, Marvin Williams or whatever into plus picks into Andre Drummond, then I say take it and dance uh, and take that cap flexibility, which they do not have in Detroit. Like zero. Take it. And eventually, as you as Reggie Jackson comes off the books, as all these other guys come off the books, you start to play with your cap space and then you become the team that starts acquiring assets to park other bad contracts and you make those trades and suddenly you stockpile a bunch of picks and you do kind of what the Brooklyn Nets did, slowly rebuild, make your picks, figure out who you've got. Even if you've got guys, you draft guys that you maybe don't even fit together, you can take them and and package them and, and move them somewhere else where they might fit better and acquire better picks better assets that way. I mean, it's a long-term strategy here in, in Detroit. They, this is untangling. It really is like untangling the Christmas lights, at, you know, at the beginning of the season, it's a long, long process. <laughs> and it, it's just, it's necessary. They, they need to be smart about this and honest with themselves and their fans and say, look, we we're trying to go back to the, the Pistons heyday. It's, it's not happening right now. This is the plan. Stick with us for the long-term plan. And we promise you a younger, more hungry team in the next coming year, coming few years. I think being transparent with your fan base is the way to kind of keep them around for all of that. So they're definitely a panicking team. What about the Cleveland Cavaliers and Kevin Love, who recently said, I wasn't acting like a 31-year-old. I was acting like a 13-year-old. That's not me. And kind of apologized for his recent outburst. Um, where he also was threatened to be fined with an amount of money that is trivial to him. They have to move <laughs> him, right? Yeah, yeah, I think they're in the same spot. Not that same spot, but similar spot. They at least have their young players kind of in place. But I, I will say it's it's good that Kevin Love kind of apologized and 
he, smooth, he obviously, smoothed this over and didn't take yeah. his own trade value by being a petulant child. Yes. Yes. Like, like that's what this is, right? That is exactly what it was. When he did that, I was like, well, if he's going to be like this, then you just send him home and pay him to sit at home, go work out, go run your sprints at home, whatever. And we'll figure something out. Now, if he can at least play along, then they can maybe start rebuilding his trade value and, and maybe get something for him. I, I, I don't know what they're going to get because he's owed money for the next three years beyond this one. Um, so I think his trade value is about as low as it can be. I mean, he's going to be what? 34 at, at the end of that contract, 35, something yep. like that. So, um, that, that's, that's not somebody that I think most teams want to take on. That's somebody that a contending team or a team that's trying to contend can convince themselves we're paying for two years of good Kevin love. We'll eat the last two years of potentially bad Kevin love, but this is a win now situation and we'll figure that out when we get down there. So uh, I don't know. I don't, what do you think that what do the, what do the Cavaliers get? Do they get young players? Do they get draft picks? I, I don't, so he's the guy that I think like whatever the best offer you have, just take whatever it is at the trade deadline. It is kind of similar. It. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I have no idea. I don't think this, this outburst hurt his trade value really much. Like, at, you know, if he yells at a teammate or yells at his GM, like whatever, you know, if you get him out of that, I don't think he's going to be a big problem, but at the same time, I don't think he has a ton of ton of value because of his age, the contract. And it's like you said, you know that like you've got a window, it's going to close and you're fine if he's old and not good at the end of that window. Cause at least you kind of, you know, you shot your shot, I guess. Um, and that's what you're doing here. And that means just whatever you can get for him, you just take, and that's that. So we'll see if he gets moved or if Drummond gets moved. And those are maybe the two biggest names kind of right out there right now, a big name that's not on the trade block, but might be in the news very soon is Zion Williamson. And I got to witness this firsthand yesterday and going to be witnessing this firsthand uh, tonight. And you're going to see him soon, too, I guess. He is dunking a ton during pregame warmups. He just re recently went through five on five um, and seems like he's maybe two or three, maybe less than that practices away from making his regular season debut with the New Orleans Pelicans, who haven't been like complete garbage over the past three weeks. So that's a nice thing, I guess. Um, yeah, I've heard about the Zion Williamson guy. He's supposed to be pretty good, right? Yeah, we talked about him a lot at times. <laughs> Haven't been talking a lot about him recently. I cannot wait. <laughs> uh, I, I did mention this last week. Um, uh, anything that can get an exciting young player onto the NBA stage, like, please, yes, bring him along, bring him out there and let's get this Zion mania. I want him to come out and be exciting, but healthy. Like, obviously, uh, not rushing the guy back. Like, he hasn't played yet. As long as he's been brought along at the right pace, which I'm sure they have because they're so cautious with him. He has. And David Griffin said it recently. Like, he's been – they they were pretty confident that there was going to be no issue. Like, he did not, like, fully need surgery on this meniscus. It was just, why, why not do it? If you're ever going to do it, probably do it before the start of your rookie year where we'll just play you the second half of the year and it's not that big of a deal in terms of games lost. And so in a sense, it was kind of a precautionary procedure. And then after that, one of the reasons he hasn't been back out on the court as my cat jumps on me as I'm recording here, uh, <laughs> making a cameo here. And it part of it is they want to fix some of his mechanics. He's got kind of like that penguin waddle when he walks. Yeah. 
And yeah. long-term, maybe they're worried about the damage that could cause. So they are kind of having him fix some of these biomechanical issues. And it seems like that's all going fine. He's been playing in like simulated games before practices, after practices, before games. And he's dunking off one leg, off two legs. He easily is fine and healthy. There have been no setbacks. There aren't going to be any setbacks is what they're anticipating. This was just a conditioning thing, kind of fixing one or two little little things that, hey, they have the opportunity to do so, so you may as well. Yeah, I, I agree with the entire approach. Uh, this is in his best interest. It's in the, the team's best interest. Uh, we all across the NBA want to see him for 15 years and have a nice, long, productive career. I want him to live up to the hype. I want him to be as good as advertised. I'm sure you do as well. I really would like that. <laughs> would really like that. <laughs> so whatever they need to do to fix whatever those things are, that's great. And to have him back is is one of those things where you can see it's a little bit of a turning point potentially for the NBA. Ratings, blah, blah, blah. If he comes in and all of a sudden those nationally televised uh, Pelicans games bring in some numbers, then it becomes another turning point. I don't want to be overly dramatic uh, and compare it to the Bird Magic era when they came in at the time where the finals were on tape delay, but it's one of those kind of flashpoint moments of, well, here's an exciting player that everybody's looking forward to, to seeing. And if even the casual fans are like, Oh, oh yeah, Zion, I, I've like, heard yeah, of that you, guy. You definitely like, tune in for Zion. And if, Oh, that game's on TV, I will watch it. Even if the Pelicans right. is bad, because you want to see Zion go and do Zion things. And I promise you all, he will definitely be doing some very Zion things very soon. Um, likely within the next four or five games, maybe less than that for the Pelicans. So, there you go. One team that's kind of panicking in the Cavs, one team that should be full on panicking, and one team that's not. And that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On NBA. So thank you all for listening. We got the recap for you, talking all the biggest topics in the NBA here. And as always on Wednesdays, I'm your co host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter and the host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. And I'm John Corrales at Reds Army underscore John on Twitter and the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you all next week.